2,700 years had passed. Those who once walked the earth have returned to the dust of the earth. It was a different time. It was a different place with different people. But despite the distance of time and space, the message, the message still rings true today as it did 2,700 years ago when it rolled over sun-parched lips and was carried across the winds of Judah to the prophet's hometown of Jerusalem. I invite you, if you've got your Bibles with you, to turn with me to the first page of a collection of messages delivered by the prophet Isaiah. And we'll begin our pilgrimage through the carefully preserved messages of God delivered by Isaiah, son of Amos. Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation as well today. These are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Now, to understand this message, it is crucial that we understand the context. What was going on in the lives of those who heard the message of God through human lips? After the split in around 930 BC between Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern kingdom, with its capital of Jerusalem, successive kings ruled their respective kingdoms, and with them, successive prophets delivered messages to God's people. Shape up, or you'll be shipped out. Contemporaries like Isaiah to Isaiah, like Amos, Hosea, addressed the northern kingdoms of Israel, while Micah joined the voice of warning the southern kingdoms of Judah. Around the time of uh, Israel and the the Israel-Judah split, the Assyrian Empire had begun its expansion, but subsequent rulers had failed to capitalize on the gains that had been made by former conquests. But before we finish with Isaiah... Um, Assyria will be banging on the gates of Jerusalem with the ultimatum, open up the gates voluntarily or we will break them down and destroy everything they were designed to protect. From around 810 BC to 750 BC, around 60 years, Israel and Judah had enjoyed peace and prosperity which lulled the two kingdoms into a false sense of complacency. God was surely pleased with them, they felt. Otherwise, they would not be experiencing such blessings. Uzziah, the first king we read about in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, he was around 16 years of age when he became king, and he reigned from 792 BC to 740 BC. And it was in the year that Uzziah died when Isaiah got the tap on the shoulder from Yahweh God. According to 2 Kings chapter 15, Uzziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but he did not destroy the pagan shrines where God's people worshipped other gods, pagan gods, with their sacrifices and incense. Isaiah saw Uzziah, Uzziah's son Jotham, take over the reins from his dad overlapping 
the rule of the kingdom for about eight years due to his dad's skin disease. Jotham reigned in his own right as king from 740 BC till 732 BC. According to 2 Kings chapter 15, Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but he also did not destroy the pagan shrines where God's people still worshipped other gods with their sacrifices and incense. Then Isaiah saw Jotham's 20-year-old son Ahaz become king around uh, 732 BC, and he ruled Judah until around 715 BC. And in 2 Kings chapter 16, we read in verses 2 to 4, he did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense to the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. When trouble came from Judah, from, uh, when trouble came on Judah from Israel and Syria, rather than calling on God, Ahaz used the silver and gold, the offerings that were freely given to the worship of Yahweh God. He took those, that silver and gold to hire the Assyrian king to attack Israel and Syria, who were at that time attacking Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. A few years later, the northern kingdom, Israel, fell to Shennacherib, the king of Assyria. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 13, we read this summary. Again and again, the Lord sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah, turn away, turn from all your evil ways, obey my commands and decrees, the entire law I commanded your ancestors to obey, and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. But the Israelites would not listen. They were stubborn as their ancestors who refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors. And they uh, despised all his warnings. They worshipped the worthless idols and so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's commands not to imitate them. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves of metal. They set up an Asher pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. And they even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. In the midst of an unstoppable momentum of people's propensity to sin, Hezekiah followed Ahaz in 715 BC, succeeding his father and became king. Isaiah had watched this boy Hezekiah grow up to be a man, but not just any man and not just any king, but a king 
like David. We once again turn our attention to 2 Kings chapter 18. And there we catch a snapshot of Hezekiah's godly character. In 2 Kings 18 verses 3 to 7 we read this. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asher poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehashtan. Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything that he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. And so it was in the year of 740 BC when Isaiah got his call up for his tour of duty. But rather than being sent to a distant land, he spoke to those who lived on his doorstep. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. These are the visions that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. So let's continue to read through these visions that come around at the time that Uzziah died and his son Jotham became king. And the message to be clean as we read from Isaiah chapter 1 verses 2 to 15. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't recognize, doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Then Isaiah goes on to voice God's disapproval of Judah because of their actions as we continue to read this message of distress. Oh, what a sinful nature they are, nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children, who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Then speaking of the, the uh, prophetic condition before God, the, messenger the message continues. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts and infected wounds, without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Beautiful Jerusalem stands abandoned like a watchman's shelter in a vineyard, like a lean-to in a cucumber field after the harvest, like a helpless city under siege. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of us, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. A spotlight is now shone 
on the source of the nation's conflict of interest with God. Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. What makes you think I want your burnt sacrifice, all your burnt sacrifices, says the Lord. I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of a new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands, and this is the key, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. It's as if the Lord thunders from on high, crying out to his people, Enough! I've had a gutful of your insincerity. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Stop your heartless worship. Go home. The issue from God's perspective is that there was a gulf between when they gathered together for worship and their behavior every other day of the week. You think that because you've been doing okay, that indicates that I'm pleased with you. On the one hand, you bring offerings, sacrifices and to the altar to worship Yahweh God. Judah, you come and you burn incense and celebrate the festivals declaring God's praises on the Sabbath services. But then you go off while the smoke is still rising from the warm altar, while the air is still filled with the aroma of your incense offered to Yahweh God, and you front up to the Asher poles and worship Baal. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 27 to 30, God warned his people the, the, the destructive results of forsaking God and chasing after other gods. The destructive results of having idols in one's life. You are unjust in your dealings with others. The blood stains the hands. Their blood stains the hands you raise in worship. When you come before me and plead ignorance of your sins. Even in the midst of the message, God's heartfelt cry is ever present. Listen as we continue to read from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. They are, they are red like crimson. I will make them as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you'll have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, 
You will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. What a gracious God. Here the people are, those that um, he has nurtured and loved. And despite the stain of their sins and the stench of their worship, rather than kicking them to the curb, he calls them, begging them to come back to him, to change their behavior before it's too late. Be clean, he calls. Change your behavior. It's time to clean up your act. Get rid of your sins. Give up your evil behaviors. The good that you've forgotten to do. Learn to do good again. Seek justice. Not for yourselves, but seek justice for others. Help the oppressed. Those who are marginalized, the voiceless, the forgotten. Remember the fatherless, the widows, those who cry out silent screams in the shadows. Hear them. Speak up for them. Stand up for them and be counted. Yes, your sins are offensive. Rather than helping, you have hurt those who are suffering and your hands are stained with their blood. Rather than worshipping me and only me, you prostitute yourselves and give away your affections to another worthless idol. But come here. Come close to me. Listen to my message. The message to be clean. Let me bathe you. Let me wash you. Let me wash your filth away. Then, oh, then you will be clean. You'll be pure. It will be different as night to day and then blessings will flow. You'll know what favor is really like. Let me bless you like this. But if you don't, then it will not go well for you. The message from God through his prophet Isaiah rings true to us today. And God's people in this day, it is the same message. It's a call to be clean. For some of us on this day, it's a time for us to come clean, to become clean. Do you or I have blood on our hands? The same hands that we raise or we hold out as we sing, are they blood-stained hands that seek to protect our interests over the interests of others who have no voice? Do we have blood on our hands when we bag a bargain at the cost of someone else's dignity and life? Are we willing to manipulate things to our advantage, to tell half-truths because it helps us to look good at the cost of another? Are we prepared to remain silent on issues out of fear that someone might change their view of us in the process? Blood-stained values can easily seep into our soul. Finders keepers, losers weepers. You snooze, you lose. First in, best dressed. Emotive language? You bet. But no more emotive than the message of Isaiah. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. What about the idols that we worship? 
those things, even those good things that take the place of God being number one in our life. It can be sport, work, education, entertainment, advancement, family, the next holiday, all good things, all things that we can glorify God through until through constant feeding, they become more important than God himself. I just need her to be happy. Perhaps we need to come clean with God so that we can be clean. Sure, we worship God on Sundays, but during the week, we worship other things. Even in my work, I can find myself placing the role as a pastor as being more important than the worship of God. In 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 3 to 7, it says, He, Hezekiah, did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asher poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made, because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Has ministry become an idol? Will you or I push God to one side because of the priority of ministry or sport or work or family? Is there a bronze serpent in our life, something that started out to be a good thing, which has now become more important thing, more important than God? Over 20 plus years of history, do we in our church have artifacts, symbols that are our bronze serpent? which over the years can become an idol. Things that we do, things that we have. The message from God through Isaiah 2,700 years ago, the message to be clean is a message for us today. The first step is to be prepared to come clean, to identify areas where sin in our actions or in our inactions, in our attitudes, in our decisions, where are those things that we need to get right before God? Then with God's help, His willing help, we can be clean. Come now. Let's settle this, says God, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they are crim red like crimson, I'll make them as white as wool. Jesus, as we have spent time looking at the the words of Isaiah, we recognize that for us today, there can be things in our life that we want to keep hidden, things that we want to keep secret from the world around that we try to keep secret from you as well. Those shortcomings, those areas that, that are our stuff-ups, our selfish behavior, whatever it might be. And Lord, your desire is for us to come clean to you because your desire is to help us to be clean. Lord, would you help us this day? In Jesus' name, amen. So each of you today was given a stone when you came in. The stone is hard. It has weight. And today it's a symbol of the stuff in our life that we want to be rid of. Stuff that gets in between our relationship with us and God. An issue, an idol, a sin, a shortcoming that is needing to be cleansed from our life. 
Today, I invite you with the pencil that you have as well to mark a word or a symbol on that stone to represent something that you would like to be cleansed of. And then I invite you when the music's about to be played to come forward and to release it beneath the crimson water. But rather than you returning back to your seat empty-handed on each of the stands on either side of the bucket, I invite you to exchange that weighty stone for a clean white bull that is a reminder of God's love and forgiveness offered to you. I encourage you to take that bull, whether you tie it on a part of your um, key ring or somewhere else to remind you that God loves you. He desperately, desperately loves you. And he wants you to be clean and to reflect his love and cleansing to the world around us. God bless you. Let's use this time now to respond to God. Music will be played.